The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We are gearing up for the final trading day of the first quarter, with one sector set to do something for the first time since 2020. And while U.S. stocks may be bouncing back from some recent turmoil, it's just nothing compared to the rally investors are seeing overseas. We're also following some breaking news. A grand jury indicting former President Donald Trump connection with hush money payments in the lead up to the 2016 presidential election. We are live in Florida with the latest. Plus, as some companies look to pivot away from China, Elon Musk is jumping in with both feet. We have the details coming up in just a moment. And what's likely the first, Massachusetts regulators opening a new investigation into regional bank insider stock sales. It is Friday, March 31st, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and happy Friday. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for joining us. Let's kick off the final trading day of March and the first quarter with a check on U.S. stock futures. Right now, we're seeing a bit of a mixed picture, but basically flat across the board right now. Um, just a moment ago, we just saw some movement in the Nasdaq, but again, basically flat. This after another positive session for stocks yesterday with the Dow and S&P on track for their best weekly gains since January. A different story as we look at the quarter-to-date performances for the major averages with the Dow. The only index tracking for a three-month loss with the rest, as you can see, heading higher into the uh, open for the quarter, with the Nasdaq outperforming by a very wide margin with a more than 14% gain, a big rise when it comes to the mostly tech-focused index. Um, any, unless something unexpected happens, it'll be the Nasdaq's strongest three-month performance since the second quarter of 2020. Checking the bond market right now, of course, we're looking at the 10-year benchmark. Yields right now at 3.57. The two-year note uh, yields above 4%, actually rising since yesterday and earlier this week. We're now seeing it at 4.14. We're also watching energy. We continue to see oil stay above $70 a barrel. Right now, WTI crude, that's the U.S. benchmark at about almost $74 a barrel. However, down more than a half a percent this morning. Brent crude at almost 70, uh, 79, but basically 78 and a half this morning. Uh, down almost a percent. Natural gas seeing a slight bump this morning, up 1%. Um, we're also speaking of oil prices. One key data point front and center this morning, that'll be February PCE. The Fed's preferred read on inflation, that's out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Economists expect the number to hold steady with a gain of 4.7% on the year. All right, that's the picture here at home. Let's see how things are shaping up overseas. Our Arabile Goumide is live in our London newsroom with the early trade over in Europe. Good morning, Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Frank. So markets are certainly in the green as well this morning. But let's take a look at that quarterly basis and what things really look like. Investors perhaps shying away from the banking sector following the banking saga. We did see out, of course, in the U.S., but also out in Europe, particularly at the halfway mark of March. We certainly saw uh, quite a drift away then from the financials or equity uh, financials and banking stocks, should I say, then and a drift towards the tech counter. So if one takes a look at those, you'll certainly see some positivity 
and here it is really, perhaps an outlier for the most part when you take a look at the likes of Unicredit. So that bank out in Italy is certainly finding some positivity there. But on a general basis, it's really just the likes of Rheinmetall, Rolls-Royce, who are the manufacturers then of weapons really enjoying themselves there. So too are the tech counters, which have certainly performed a lot better. One takes a look at the worst performers then as well. A lot of those financial stocks are what you will see. That is kind of the theme you are getting. Uh, the likes of Credit Suisse, uh, as you've noted, of course, this month being a very important one for Credit Suisse, being bought out there by UBS, a 70% fall on the quarter as well. So a big fall on that front. Perhaps the outlier, very interesting, the likes of Glencore, Anglo-American. So perhaps the mining sector not necessarily enjoying the kind of uh, positivity we would have seen from China reopening. But very interesting to note that they're actually down around 17% each on that front. So a very mixed picture, but certainly the banking counters, ones to have run away from as investors tried towards the kind of the tech counters then in this quarter. Frank. All right, Arabile, thank you very much for that look at the early trade overseas. All right, we're turning back to breaking news this morning. A grand jury in Manhattan voting to indict Donald Trump. This is the first time in U.S. history a sitting or former president will face criminal charges. An arraignment is expected early next week. NBC News' Gary Grumbach joins us now from Palm Beach, Florida, with the very latest. Good morning, Gary. Hey there, Frank. Thursday actually marked two months to the day that this grand jury started their work. And former President Donald Trump has spent the last 12 hours doing pretty much what he did every single day of those two months, deflecting, denying, and distracting on social media. Just in the past two hours, he actually posted on his Truth Social account saying, uh, quote, where's Hunter? Of course, that's a reference to the current president's son who's in his own legal trouble. But that's an effort for the former president to distract and deflect. He's posted more than a dozen times over the past 12 hours. I want to read one of them to you here. He says, quote, this is political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. The Democrats, he says, have lied, cheated and stolen in their obsession to, quote, get Trump. But now they've done the unthinkable, indicting a completely innocent person in an act of blatant election interference. He's using phrases like Soros backed prosecutor and the Department of Injustice, as he calls it. He's really just trying to blame anyone and everyone for crimes that they say he has committed. So, Gary, now getting the former president to New York is going to be nothing short of a logistical feat. Kind of talk us through that process. Yeah, so he is here in Mar-a-Lago right now in Palm Beach. He's got to take the 90-minute motorcade ride to Palm Beach International Airport, of course, with Secret Service accompanying him. And he's then flying to a New York-area airport where he will either motorcade or chopper down to Lower Manhattan and then get through the streets of Lower Manhattan, of course, with Secret Service, with NYPD, with the Joint Terrorism Task Force, all working together over the past few weeks to make sure that the Secret Service protectee that is Donald Trump gets to and from that arraignment in a safe manner. Frank. All right, Gary Grumbach, thank you very much. All right, turning our attention back to the markets, we're diving into the latest Delivering Alpha Investor Survey, and we're tapping into the nation's leading institutional investors, top strategists, and our own CNBC contributors. This survey gauges their outlooks and strategies for the second quarter and beyond. That includes where the S&P 500 may be heading next, with 68% saying. The index has more room to fall, 16% saying it's closer to a bottom with another 16% saying a rally is taking shape. Let's bring in Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global and, of course, a CNBC contributor. Gina, always great to see you. 
Thank you. All right. So we just had the results there of our D.A. survey. Um, 68 percent of the people that we surveyed believe that the S&P was going to fall. Um, it's had a, a fairly strong run so far this year, up more than five percent. What's your take? So it is surprising the rally that took shape, particularly after um, the SVB fallout. Uh, and one thing that we're looking at is we're looking at the divergence between the equity markets and the high yield markets, which tend to actually be quite correlated. So you have, the, you have an equity rally at the same time that you have um, high yield actually performing slightly negative for the month. Um, and if you look at downgrades versus upgrades um, using Moody's, we're looking at a two to one uh, rate of downgrades versus upgrades. And so, you know, I would say that the high yield market is is probably, um, you know, calling uh, for further <laughs> equity weakness. So, Gina, we just had a report from NBC News. Uh, of course, Donald Trump expected to be indicted. How do you see the politi political nature of this impacting the markets and the economy? Uh, we're already seeing some bipartisan tension when it comes to the debt ceiling negotiations. Well, look, the debt ceiling is a big deal. And I think that, you know, continued uh, to continue tension uh, across the aisle, which has been a fixture pretty much since 2016 and, and even before that, but really since, you know, since 2016, um, it doesn't do a whole lot for business confidence because it just it, it, it creates the, the kind of uncertainty that makes it hard to plan um, for business. And so, you know, I think that that while Congress certainly doesn't call and ask me if, <laughs> what they should do, um, the, the more there is tension um, within the congressional with, you know, inside of Congress, um, the harder it will be for businesses to plan. If we do actually get to uh, a default, a technical default, that would be um, that, that would certainly be a catalyst for very, very negative outcomes all over the markets. So, Gina, you're a bit bearish about the markets. You're also looking at the yield curve as, as often cited as a possible recession indicator. Coming up today, we have the PCE report again, the Fed's preferred gauge of inflation. If, and this is a if, we see a clear downturn when it comes to inflation, do you think that's going to signal just the complete end of this hiking cycle? Well, you know, it, it was to me, it was a little surprising that the Fed continued um, continued with their their last hike. You know, I think that that the um, you know, the, the the market right now, inflation is being pushed by a shortage of workers. That is the last piece of inflation that continues to go up, which is the services sector, which is being driven by wages. Look, that's high, but it's already falling. I think that um, there is enough tightening within the banking sector to more than make up for any tightening that the Fed could possibly do. Um, so I think right now we're sort of sitting um, like fro a frog in boiling water as the water is heating up. And I do think at some point we will get to a boil. All right. Gina Sanchez from Chantico Global. Thank you very much for being here. All right. We Thank go back you, here Frank. on Worldwide Exchange. Mr. Musk heads to China. New details on the possible high-level meeting the Tesla CEO is hoping to land. Plus, borrowing the Alibaba playbook, JD.com reportedly set to spin off a few businesses of its own into separately traded companies. But first, the backlash against AI gaining traction and why my next guest says we are only in the early innings. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag and Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. 
Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here with those. Bertha, good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday, Frank. Elon Musk, the latest U.S. executive, looking to go to China. He's reportedly making plans to visit as early as next month with the hopes of meeting with China's new premier, Li Jiang. No details on the focus of the potential meeting, but China is Tesla's second largest market after the U.S., and its Shanghai plant is the EV maker's largest production hub. Massachusetts regulators are reportedly investigating insider stock sales by executives at First Republic Bank in the weeks leading up to the recent industry turmoil. Secretary of the Commonwealth Bill Galvin telling Reuters his office has subpoenaed First Republic for more information on matters including insider trading policies. We'll hear more from Galvin when he joins Squawk Box at 7 a.m. Eastern this morning. And Netflix is reportedly restructuring its film group to make fewer movies each year and centralized decision makings. According to Bloomberg, the streaming giant will combine units that produce small and mid-sized pictures with the changes resulting in a handful of layoffs and departure of two of its most experienced executives. Frank, apparently they make 50 movies a year. I had no idea they made that many. Yeah, there's a lot of movies on, on Netflix. A lot of them aren't really in my wheelhouse to watch, but there's certainly a lot of content yeah. on there. I'm a big fan of all the stand-up comedy they have on there. They have a lot of great stand-up specials. Yeah, all right, that Bertha, is pretty good. Yeah, Bertha Coombs, we'll see you later on the show. We have to share our, our, our watching tips for Netflix. All right, turning <laughs> our attention now to AI. Elon Musk, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, and Pinterest Evan Sharp, they're among the tech leaders calling for a six-month pause in the development of new AI tech over the potential danger to society. In a letter from the Future of Life Institute, which is primarily funded by the Musk Foundation, the group says powerful AI systems should only be created once experts are confident the risk will be manageable. Warning's not doing much to subdue investor enthusiasm in the space, however. Check out the Global X Robotics and AI ETF, which counts NVIDIA, Intuitive Surgical, and SMC as some of its top holdings. That's up more than 22% this year. Joining me now is Cyrus Mayawala, head of thematic intelligence at Global Data. Cyrus, great to have you here. Hi, Frank. All right. So, hi, Cyrus, we're going to get to some of the, you know, the ethical questions and, and human safety questions about AI in just a moment. But first, I want to focus on the investor interest in this. So we're seeing growing demand from AI. We're hearing it from a lot of different companies. What does this mean for the companies that provide software, chips, cloud infrastructure? Is this a rising tide that's going to lift all boats or will there be clear winners and losers? 
Well, I, I think we've had a lot, lot of hype on, you know, on things like the metaverse in the past. You know, 12 months ago, everybody said the metaverse was, was the next big thing. Some companies, cha uh, Facebook changed its name. Uh, but now, 12, 12, uh, 12 months later, it's not happened. So there's a risk that we could be overhyping uh, AI. But if you ask me, I'm head of, as head of thematic intelligence at Global Data, I'd say it's the number one theme facing business leaders today. And therefore, I would expect some of the best business leaders to be investing uh, heavily in AI, or at least looking right now, getting an AI strategy uh, on, on what they should be doing. And therefore, I think the big AI uh, leaders, uh, big tech and, and some other private players like OpenAI, and the entire enterprise software system could get an upgrade. Okay, certainly something to watch. We are seeing some pretty strong performance from the WCLD ETF, which has a lot of those uh, enterprise software names that have AI capabilities. I also want to bounce something off of you. Speaking of investment, this is from our first quarter's delivering alpha survey. We asked respondents if they've made an investment in AI-related companies in the past year. Here's the results we got. Just about a third said yes, two-thirds basically saying no. What does that mean for the future, at least in the near term? We're talking second quarter, the rest of 2023. Do you expect at least a near term push? A lot of companies trying to invest in AI, whether it's to actually create those capabilities or just to be able to offer and say that they're working on the capabilities. Yeah, if I was one of the two thirds uh, of respondents that said no, I, I would uh, radically rethink uh, my, uh, that question and my AI strategy. I think, uh, you know, we've, we've passed a, a kind of milestone, if you like, in the development of AI, where I think it's, it's likely to take off. In, in, in terms of how I view it, I'd say there's three levels of AI. There's weak AI, or sometimes called artificial narrow intelligence, and that focuses on a specific task, like playing chess or recognizing faces or writing a poem. And that's broadly what ChatGPT does. Okay. Then the next level is strong AI or artificial general intelligence, and that's theoretical. It doesn't exist today, but that's where a machine possesses human-level intelligence. And then the third level is the dangerous one, and that's what we call artificial superintelligence, and that's where the machine you know, surpasses what any what the brightest human minds can do. And that's why Elon Musk and others wrote that open AI letter, because without regulation, we could be in a dangerous place. OK, you're hitting on the the, the topic that we started us all off with uh, a thousand tech leaders, including Elon Musk, other prominent names saying that AI presents profound, profound risks to society and humanity. Can't get the words out. Um, how real are these risks? And is it a risk in the near term or the long term? I, I think they're uh, well. The cynics would say that this is a this is a ploy by some of the tech incumbents who are behind on AI. Uh, remember that uh, uh, Microsoft uh, Microsoft and uh, Google were forced to kind of speed up the release of their uh, uh, of, of their AI models as a result of what OpenAI did, and of course that was spurred by Microsoft's investment in OpenAI. So you could you could argue there was a cynical commercial reason for leaders asking for a slowdown. But actually, I, th I think the risks are, are quite uh, genuine. Uh, it, you know, if we are moving towards this uh, level two stage of AI, artificial general intelligence. And indeed, last week, uh, on the 23rd of March, Microsoft issued a paper, and it basically said that ChatGPT4 GPT, uh, has signs uh, of showing artificial, you said, we are on the cusp of entering that artificial general intelligence phase. And the two main dangers are uh, here are that without regulation, there's national security implications. Militaries are using this technology. There's a risk that autonomous drones or robot soldiers could turn on their own generals. Uh, and there's an ethics risk. You know, without regulation, there are worrying signs that companies 
might just abandon their internal ethics boards in favor of winning this race on AI. And indeed, Microsoft has laid off some of its ethics, oh. ethics team, as had Meta, Google and Amazon. Yeah, certainly something to watch. Uh, it's going to be a story for many months, possibly years to come. Cyrus Mayerwell of Global Data, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, your morning's big money movers and take a look at today's mystery chart. We'll tell you why this EV maker just cannot catch a break. Much more coming up after the break. Stay with us. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Friday. Participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax. Must update rewards. All right, time now for your big money movers, three big stock stories of the morning. We begin with shares of Nikola, the EV truck maker, falling ahead of the open. This one news, the company is planning a $100 million stock sale backed by an unnamed investor who is committed to buying any unsold stock. The company's founder, Trevor Milton, was convicted of fraud last October and produced just 133 trucks in the first quarter of this year. Shares down almost 6%. Virgin Orbit is ceasing operations for, quote, the foreseeable future after failing to secure a funding lifeline. And shares are sinking this morning. You can see down 50 percent. This is according to audio from an all hands on meeting on hands on deck meeting obtained by CNBC. CEO Dan Hart says the company will also be laying off all but 100 employees. Virgin Orbit is now set to open up with a market cap below 70 million dollars. Again, shares down 50 percent. And Chinese e-commerce giant JD.com is reportedly planning to spin off its property and industrial units and list them on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Reuters reports the deals could be worth more than $1 billion each. Shares are higher in the Asian trade. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, tech may be up double digits for the quarter, but my next guest says there are still opportunities in the space for investors that have been missing out. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. Stay with us. All right. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, 5.30 p.m. in Singapore. And we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Investors gearing up to close out the first quarter. Tech stocks regaining their shine with the Nasdaq poise to stop its year-long quarterly losing streak. Given that refound love, tech set to set, take top honors for Q1, while financial stocks are looking at a quarter they would likely like to forget. We dig into the best and the worst performing sectors. And a breaking story, that historic indictment of former President Donald Trump. Our Eamon Jabbers is standing by with the very latest and what's next in this very key moment in American history. It is Friday, March the 31st, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Happy Friday as well. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. We're seeing these futures pretty much flat across the board. We have seen the Dow Jones rise just recently in the last few minutes. At this point, it looks like it would open up about 50 points higher, but basically flat across the board. Now, this all following Thursday's positive session. The Dow and the S&P are set to notch their best weekly gains since January. 
A different story as we prepare to close out the first quarter. The Dow, the only index looking at a loss for the period right now. Uh, the S&P up 5.5%. The Nasdaq, of course, the big winner with a more than 14% gain and what will be its strongest three-month performance since the fourth quarter of 2020. We'll dive further into tech in just a moment. But first, to check on the bond market. Looking at bond yields right now, we're seeing the benchmark 10-year note at 3.55, pretty much flat all week. Um, we're seeing the two-year note. The yield there rise above 4%, very notable. We continue to watch the spread between the two and the 10-year. A lot of people see that as a recession indicator. Let's also check oil right now. We're seeing WTI, the U.S. benchmark, above 70 bucks a barrel, now basically 74 and a half, um, up fractionally this morning. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, at about 79 bucks a barrel, down fractionally this morning. Speaking of oil prices, one key data point front and center this morning will be February PCE. Remember, that's the Fed's preferred read on inflation. That is out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Economists expecting that number to hold steady with a gain of 4.7% year over year. All right, turning our attention now to the big story today. A grand jury in Manhattan voting to indict Donald Trump. This is the first time a sitting or former U.S. president will face criminal charges. An arraignment expected next week. Our Eamon Javers is in Washington with the very latest on this breaking story. Good morning, Eamon. Yeah, good morning to you, Frank. Uh, it's a historic first here. It's a former president of the United States under indictment and at a time when he's campaigning to take power in 2024. The former president issued a blistering statement last night saying this is political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. The Democrats have lied, cheated and stolen in their obsession with trying to get Trump. But now they've done the unthinkable, indicting a completely innocent person in an act of blatant election interference. Now, Trump put out a social media post calling the prosecutors here thugs and radical left monsters. And the former president's campaign team sent an email to supporters last night denouncing the indictment and asking for money with donation ranges from $24 to $250. Now, we don't have the specific charges in the indictment yet, Frank. Uh, we're waiting for those. Just we have word now that uh, from Trump's attorney confirming that he has been indicted. We do know the Man Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg has been examining the circumstances surrounding this $130,000 hush money payment to former porn star Stormy Daniels during their 2016 campaign. There could be charges around falsification of business records, and there could be charges around campaign finance violations. We'll only find out when the indictment is unsealed. All of that raises the specter of a former president of the United States being arraigned in a New York City courthouse, fingerprinted, even photographed for a mugshot, even as he continues to receive protection by Secret Service officers and campaign for the presidency. Now, in a statement, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg said, we contacted Mr. Trump's attorney to coordinate his surrender to the Manhattan DA's office for arraignment on a Supreme Court indictment, which remains under seal. And the question no one can answer at this hour is how this indictment is going to affect the former president's base of political support. Will his base rally around him in his time of legal peril or will Trump supporters look for another Republican alternative? So far, at least, no statements from any of Mr. Trump's potential GOP rivals for the Republican nomination. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, put out a statement last night in which he expressed support uh, for the former president of the United States and said that he would not extradite him from the state of Florida, even if requested by New York authorities. That's not likely to be necessary here, Frank. It's clear that the president plans on surrendering next week in Manhattan. Uh, but the, the clear statement from Mr. DeSantis is of support 
support for Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump, of course, on the campaign trail has been denouncing Mr. DeSantis. So that gives you a sense of the very strange moment that we're in politically and legally. Frank, back over to you. All right, Eamon, great reporting as always. Uh, a lot of twists and turns probably yet to unfold in this story. We'll be watching your reports all day long. Our Eamon Jabbers, live in D.C. Thank you. you bet. All right, turning our attention now back to the markets as we close out the first quarter of this year. And it's been a wild start to the year with some of last year's worst performing sectors in the S&P 500 now chalking up some very big gains. At the top of its game, tech, up nearly 20 percent this year after ending 2022 solidly in the red. This despite four straight rate hikes by the Federal Reserve since November, with one more likely on the way. A very different story for financials, down 7 percent with recent bank failures and contagion a key concern. We've got full coverage of both sectors. With us to talk tech, Nancy Tangler from Laffer Tangler Investments. And here to weigh in on financials, Stephen Scouton from Piper Sandler. Nancy, let's begin things with you. So tech's been on a bit of a tear lately as Wall Street looks to trade in value for growth. Names like NVIDIA, AMD, and Salesforce all up double digits for the quarter, benefiting from renewed interest in software and the recent hype over AI. Enphase Energy, Gen Digital, and EPAM Systems not getting the same love. So I want to talk to you. We see a lot of people talking about a possible recession, a lot of forecasts for recessions, Nancy. Are you rotating into tech or are you fading tech right now? Well, Frank, thanks so much for having me. Um, we were adding to technology all throughout the fourth quarter, and um, we've actually been trimming back uh, as recently as uh, the day, the morning of the Fred, Fed's presser. Uh, I, I think you still can make money in tech from here for sure. These companies turned in really solid earnings growth last year and still were sold off. So you think of a company like ServiceNow that that actually turned in almost 30% earnings growth last year, Palo Alto Networks, almost 40% on a, on a trailing um, calendar year basis. And so you, you have to pick your spots. But our investing theme has been old economy companies that embrace technology or em- embracing the digital revolution and then the providers of those underlying tools, the digital tools to to really make companies more productive. And I, I think we're in early innings. So I think you wait for volatility and then you continue to add to some of these names. All right. So you're you're, you're looking for opportunities in tech and to look. What are some of the companies that you are eyeing and what are the qualities that they have that you're looking for? And what's certainly an uncertain environment? Yeah, well, is is that not the truth? Um, this has been the single most complex investing environment in my career. Uh, we're looking for a couple of things. First of all, we want reliable growers. We want companies that can grow grow their business in in all econ- economic situations. And so, you know, obviously, if you're in a recession, they're going to grow less quickly than they do in an economic expansion. But we want sort of the essential technology companies and. And we also looking, are looking very closely at management. And that's a, you know, it's a qualitative factor. It's hard to assess, but, but we want strong management teams. So Bill McDermott in ServiceNow is a great CEO. Satya Nadella uh, certainly is a great and wily CEO. So we, we own Microsoft. We're looking for companies that, that are in the sweet spot of cloud growth or the chip makers like Broadcom that are suppliers to enterprise cloud and AI. Uh, and then Palo Alto Networks is a cybersecurity company, obviously, and that's a space that CIOs have declared is the last place they will cut in their in their budgets. So, uh, if you if you look at the numbers, um, Microsoft, if you look at the surveys, gets the most CIO spe- of CIO spend, uh, and you can and we know that from the IDC surveys 
that service that software as a service is grow is expected to grow 15% next year. So those those are the names that we want to be looking at and and adding to on weakness. So you're saying you're adding on weakness, but you're also trimming some of your positions and some of the big winners for this year. For example, Salesforce up 48% this year. Why'd you decide to trim now? They've kind of avoided a proxy fight. It seems like Mark Benioff has calmed down all the dissension. <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, I think there's definitely a succession issue with that company. They've had significant turnover in management. And that and that's always a red flag for us. Um, but if you look at the underlying business, of course, that's why we still hold it. I mean, it's a it's a large holding in our portfolio. But we we, we don't want the market to make our our weighting decisions for us. And so when it appreciated some 40 percent, we, we t- trimmed it back to what our target was. And that was about three, three and a half percent of the portfolio. Same with Microsoft. We took some off the table. We still love the company. But this this is how you, you, you have to be disciplined in these stocks. And this is what we did with Apple, which we still own. But we were actively selling in 2021. And then when on weakness in the fourth quarter, we added back some to, to the name. So uh, we don't turn over our portfolios a lot. These okay. are iterative kind of changes, but it's important, I think, to, to declare victory when you can and then to step back into high-quality companies when okay. they're in duress. Yep, you got to take a win when you have a win. Nancy Tangler <laughs> from Laffer Tangler, thank you very much. Thanks, Fred. Right, turning now to financials and what's been the worst-performing sector so far this year, First Republic, Zions Bank, and Charles Schwab all driving the sector lower as the run on regional banks rolls on. But not every stock in the sector is tracking lower. I'm going to show you some names here. MSCI, CME Group, and Fiserv, they're all up for the year. Joining me now to discuss, Stephen Scouten, Managing Director at FSG Research at Piper Sandler. Stephen, great to have you here. Hey, good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. All right, so looking at the banks just for a moment, uh, we had a guest on earlier today that said banks are trading at about seven times forward earnings. I'm looking at the S&P. It's trading at about 17 times forward earnings. Are the banks such a discount that you should just jump in with both feet, or is it more of a stock picker's market when we're talking financials? Yeah, I mean, I think it is more of a stock picker's market. There, there definitely are more flows into some of the indexes, at least at the, at the very front stages of that uh, movement. Um, there's probably money to be made there if you don't you know, know which exact stocks you want to target. But I would say the names that we feel most strongly about are still some of these flight to safety names, um, the super regionals, some of the even the, the four largest banks where we think we'll see deposit flows, where there's stability in deposits, capital's not a concern. Um, and I think that's where you'll see a lot of investor interest until we get a little bit more stability in the system. We're still, you know, watching deposit flows very closely trying to figure out what these banks can earn moving forward. Excuse me. But like you said, they're only trading at seven times today. So for a group that traditionally trades at, you know, 10 to 12 times at the larger end of the spectrum, uh, there's a pretty significant discount here. So to the degree we get that stabilization and we can remove fears of failure, um, I do think we'll have a really nice run in the group and make up a lot of that gap that you showed um, from the underperformance here in the first quarter. Yeah, certainly something to watch looking at the, the KBE right now up fractionally in the pre-market. So you say you're looking for stability. How important will today's PCE report be for that stability? If we see inflation showing a clear drought downtrend, does that add the stability you're looking for? Does that give you an answer on what the Fed's going to do next? Yeah, I don't know if it'll give us an answer per se. I think you said earlier, and I would we would agree with you, we expect another 25 basis point hike. But I think to the degree we can get stability around inflation, take additional rate hikes off the table, I do think that would help the group um, from a credit contagion perspective. That We haven't seen absolutely no signs of, of, of credit fallout as of yet. But obviously, with what we've seen in the past few weeks, 
fears of a harder landing in the back half of the year have increased significantly. So, you know, as we start to get this, you know, stability back here in the weeks and months ahead, we presumably could, could come into another headwind of, of credit fallout later in the year. But but if we can, um, you know, take some of those rate hikes off the table or presumably as some are expecting get some rate cuts, then, then yes, I think that would take another headwind off the table for investors as they look at the group. All right. So you say investors are looking for safety and for quality right now. You're actually identifying a couple of banks that you think are relatively safe. One of them is actually a regional bank, Truist Financial. You have a couple others. Give us a sense of, of the names on this list that you believe in the regional bank space or even the big bank space that are, quote unquote, safe. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, that word safety maybe isn't as comfortable as some people thought a few weeks ago. But I mean, a bank like a Truist that has over 2 million account holders, um, has a very granular deposit base throughout strong markets in the Southeast is one, you know, paying north of a 6% dividend today. It's one we feel very good about over the long term. Same for our regions, another very granular deposit base, small customer accounts and some more rural markets throughout the Southeast that again, lend stability. Um, even first citizens that we saw in the news the last few days that again, we look at these very granular deposit bases, more customer stability, strong capital, and just, you know, that have been around for, for the long run. They're, they're not in any real niche businesses. They're not idiosyncratic in any way. They're just kind of core community banks that have grown larger over time. And, and you know, there's fears that, hey, community banking is dead and all the money's going to flow to the big four. We don't really believe that. There, there will be some dynamics there, but, but, but there's still a, a big place for banks and these community banks hold an important spot in, in many of their markets. And we think that will continue. Yeah, they certainly will. It's something we've been following here on Worldwide Exchange. Stephen Scouten from Piper Sandler, thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, more from the latest Delivering Alpha Investor Survey and where some of the top investors and strategists say they plan to put their money to work in the second quarter. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As we gear up for the trading day ahead, on the economic front, February personal income and spending is out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. This report contains the Fed's favorite gauge of inflation, the core PCE, or Personal Consumption Expenditures Index. Following that number, a trio of Fed officials are speaking today. We hear from New York Fed President John Williams, Fed Governor Lisa Cook, and Fed Governor Christopher Waller. And Congress is getting out of town for two weeks, breaking for the Easter recess. Ahead, financial planner Lizzie Evans lays out what she's watching as we head into the second quarter and the healthcare stock that's high on her radar despite being one of the biggest drags on the Dow in Q1. And throughout the month of March, we're celebrating women's heritage, sharing the stories of women leaders in business and those of our CNBC teammates and contributors as we head to break. Here is Hallmark Channel CEO Wanya Lucas. What makes me proud to be a woman is watching other women excel. Uh, you never know what you can achieve until you test your limits. I was brought up to believe that if you see it, you can be it. And every time a girl or a young woman sees a woman at the pinnacle of her career, she can believe that her dreams can also come true.
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. Six business stories we are following as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Massachusetts regulators are reportedly investigating insider stock sales by executives at First Republic Bank in the weeks leading up to the recent industry turmoil. The state secretary of the Commonwealth, William Galvin, will join Squawk Box to discuss that probe. Boeing will increase production rates of its 737 MAX above the current 71 jets per month, quote, very soon. The company adds it is in the final stages of requesting FAA approval for its new 737 MAX 7 model. Netflix is reportedly restructuring its film group to make fewer movies each year and centralized decision-making. According to Bloomberg, the changes will result in a handful of layoffs and the departure of two of its most experienced executives. Virgin Orbit is ceasing operations for, quote, the foreseeable future. After failing to secure a funding lifeline, shares are sinking. According to audio from an all-hands-on-deck meeting obtained by CNBC, CEO Dan Hart says the company will also be laying off all but 100 employees. Virgin Orbit is now set to open up with a market cap below $70 million. Chinese e-commerce giant JD.com is reportedly planning to spin off its property and industrial units and list them on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Reuters reports the deals could be worth more than $1 billion each. Shares are higher in the Asian overnight trade. And shares of EV truck maker Nikola falling ahead of the open. This one news the company is planning a $100 million stock sale backed by an unnamed investor who is committed to buying any unsold stock. The company's founder, Trevor Milton, was convicted of fraud last October. It's the last day of the first quarter and it's been a positive start to the year for stocks, even with the Fed continuing to raise rates. And the turmoil in the banking sector, the Dow, the only outlier among those major averages on pace for its fourth negative quarter in the past five. But the S&P and the Dow transports, they're both up five and a half percent. The Nasdaq set for its best quarter since the end of 2020, up nearly 15 percent. Let's bring in Lizzie Evans, managing partner at Evans May Wealth. Lizzie, great to see you as always. Good morning, Frank. All right. We've been talking about kind of the volatility in this first quarter all year, banking turmoil, rate hikes, a lot of other things going on. Um, Your clientele, mostly high net worth individuals and families. How are you telling them to balance their portfolios right now? Are you more focused on equities or on bonds? Great question. It's uh, gosh, what a first quarter it has been, you know, all leading up until March 8th, the market was really trading on interest rate outlook speculation as to when the Fed would stop hiking rates. Uh, what the terminal rate would be. And yet we were continuously debating, will the market retest October lows? Um, and we hadn't seen the volatility that's typical of a, of a market bottom. And usually at a market bottom, something breaks. So as you mentioned, fast forward to today, we've seen Silicon Valley Bank, we've seen Signature Bank, Credit Suisse and the like, volatility spiked, uh, something broke and, and policymakers had to step in. So I am cautiously optimistic. I think that the market, um, I I think volatility is here to stay. I think that the market could very well move lower before it moves higher. But I do think a year from now, we're positive in both equities and bonds. All right. So you're really bullish. So that's you. What about your clients? I would imagine ever since Silicon Valley Bank, you've been getting a lot of calls, a lot of people asking you questions about their portfolio, where their money's being held, et cetera. Um, you're also looking at a recent Bank of America survey that's looking at sentiment, sentiment uh, very low right now. What does that tell you about the environment right now and also for the next three quarters of this year? Yes, Frank, investor sentiment is terrible. Um, you know, all day long, I'm talking to clients. We're 15 months into a bad market. And particularly in the last couple of weeks, 
clients are really ready to throw in the towel. So historically, that's been a very good time actually to be in the market. So Bank of America released their global fund manager survey last week. And interestingly, pessimism is is today. We have as much pessimism that we've seen at market lows over the last 20 years. Also, the retail investor, there is um, AAII, the American Association of Individual Investors, that looks at retail investor sentiment. And it's as bad as it was during the great financial crisis. So it pays to be a contrarian. With that Bank of America survey, historically, when when we've had this amount of pessimism, the market, the S&P 500, is positive to the tune of plus 15% over the next 12 months. So, Lizzie, I want to bounce something off you. Our latest Delivering Alpha survey is out today. Among the questions we asked top strategists is which areas of the market they will be concentrating on in the second quarter. So take a look at the results. A third said high dividend stocks, followed by healthcare, financials, mega cap tech, and then energy. Energy was the last answer, 12%. Mega cap tech and financials, both 16%. What do you think about this areas of concentration results for our Delivering Alpha survey with more than a third saying they're focused on high dividend stocks? I think that so for, for, for our clients and as an investment management style, we are less focused on picking uh, style boxes, picking growth, picking value. I think that high dividend dividend stocks have very much been in favor with a lot of the back, macroeconomic uncertainty. For us, we're looking for companies that have that are that have earnings that are projected to have earnings growth that have healthy free cash flow but i think there's opportunities both in growth and in value all right let's get to your stock pick with the stock that you think is a strong or could be a strong performer for the rest of the year it's unh in the healthcare space however this stock has been one of the biggest drags on the dow so far this year do you see a major turnaround what makes this your pick today yes i think so unh is down 11.3 percent year to date um, it's it's 9.4 percent of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So as you mentioned, certainly has been a pull on DIA. Um, but look at the, the stock closed yesterday at 470 bucks a share. The consensus median price target is 599. So that's that implies 27 and a half percent upside from here. It is twice as profitable as its peers. It has a free cash flow yield of five and a half percent, and it's really been beaten up. So I think given the integrated model, I think UNH is a company that you're, given the volatility in the market, you're really buying at a great price. That's going to be one of the the, the best companies in that healthcare space long-term. All right. Lizzie, great to see you as always. Lizzie Evans from Evans Evans May Wealth Management. Thank you for being here. All right, we're going to take one quick check of the futures right now before we toss things over to Squawk Box. Here's what we're seeing in the pre-market just about three and a half hours before the opening bell. We're seeing, uh, you know, kind of mixed action here. The Nasdaq just dipping into the red. The Dow Jones looking like it would open up about 50 points higher at this moment. Remember, we have PCE coming out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. It could be a marked mover. And that's going to do it for us here at Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I had a charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, 
Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.